Welcome to TSCRA Talk, a podcast by Texas and Southwestern Cattle Raisers Association. I'm your host, Kristen Brown. Joining me today is Wesley Spurlock, a farmer and rancher from the Texas Panhandle. And today we discuss the intersection of cattle and corn. Wesley, thank you so much for joining me today for the podcast. Thank you, Kristen. I'm glad to be on with you. To get started, tell us a little bit about yourself and your cattle and your corn operation. Well, our family moved into the Texas Panhandle in the late 1800s into the into Sherman County, and our family started with cattle. So it was a cattle ranching family, and then the farming started was to raise feed for the cattle. And as time has gone on and got through generations, then you come to my generation, and irrigated farming was the major part of our operation. So we've raised a lot of corn cotton, grain sorghum, wheat, alfalfa, some different crops like that. Well, so you have skin in the game on both sides when it comes to the cattle and corn conversations. Yes, we do a little bit of everything on it. So we cover both sides of agriculture. Now, you've held a number of leadership roles. In fact, you're a past president of the Texas Corn Producers Association, as well as a past president of the National Corn Growers Association. Tell us about those roles. That kind of falls in probably to the same line as several of your past presidents in uh, national and NCBA and what they've done is you work, you work in your state and your state organization, and then you get known nationally. And if you decide to go to really work for them, then you get on those national boards. So I was on the national corn board for 10 years and the last three was as first vice president and then president and then chairman of national corn. And really at that time, we did a lot of work in Washington, D.C. and across the nation representing the corn farmers. There's about 40,000 members of National Corn Growers Association, but there's about 300,000 corn farmers that we represent also. Sure, sure. Well, let's dive in and This is going to be a really basic question, but I'm excited to hear your comments about it. But talk to us about the long-running relationship between corn and cattle and the ebb and flow of those two and how they're intertwined. That's a big, big, broad question statement, but I'm just going to see where you run with it. What I was going to say is, as the feed yard industry grew in the U.S. and continued to grow and get bigger, corn is a really important part of, of the ration. And that was as that's as the grain or as silage. And so as we've gone along, we've done that. And then when the ethanol industry came in, it was not really popular with any of the livestock organizations because it was a new it was competition for the corn that they had been using to where it was only going to livestock or to a little bit to exports. But so as that competition came, there was a little friction for a few years, but as they discovered what the DDGs worked and how well DDGs work in those rations, then things kind of changed and the prices stabilized. And when it's in a point where everybody makes money, when my farm can make money and then I can feed the corn to cattle and the cattle make money, then it makes everything work so much better. And so it's always been a, they are just, tied so closely together on the feeding side of it. 
and a lot of our farms uh, have we graze the corn stalks in the the winter with the cows off of our ranch and so you bring them in we'll graze them on it so the farm is really important to the livestock industry and then our part of the livestock industry and then vice versa so they work together and the two one will be profitable when the other one may not be as profitable and then the reverse will happen sure well and it would be easy to focus on the price and be upset with each other. I, I know that that happens, but also on the flip side, we could just focus on how we benefit each other. And that's where I want to transition to the U.S. Meat and Export Federation. They just recently released an independent study conducted by World Perspectives, and it had a lot of good news for both cattlemen and corn growers. So tell us about some of the highlights from that report. I was going to say it was really, when you look at it and the price that our red meat is right now and where it's at the profitability of it but the export when through this report we've had the in 22 was the largest export value of red meats ever and that was in about 19.37 billion dollars of export sales to the world and that is really a great story to talk about and a great direction to go in what it does because every pound i mean we export out of the u.s is a pound that is a bushel of corn or an amount of corn that is being exported also so when usmef is doing a great job around the world and then the u.s grains council is doing their part on the other side of the grain side but i think that when you look at that and that amount leaving was equivalent to about a half a billion bushels of corn that was fed to those animals and was then exported as a finished product. Those numbers come off of about a a $6.75 per bushel price of corn that was the number they used when they were doing their study. Talk to us a little bit about some of the hurdles that corn growers are facing right now. Give us an inside look there. I was going to say one of the hurdles, and I mean, it would match with anybody that's running equipment. We still are having such trouble with the ability to get parts in and get what you need. And if you have, whether it's on our feed yard, if we have a loader go down, you may not have that part readily available that you used to have. And on the same on our, on the farms, the, if our tractors go down or if an electronic piece goes out or in a, or ordering, trying to get a hold of new equipment or new pickups, any, whether it's Ford, Chevrolet, Toyota, you just can't go by and get really what you want just the day you want to, like we could pre COVID. So we continue to have problems with getting everything that we need as timely as we'd like to have it. Prices of our, all of our inputs have gone up dramatically. And I think everybody feels those, that pinch of those, whether it's the natural gas last year and where it was at, or the diesel or gasoline or the fertilizers were just tremendously expensive and so everything we do is bumped dramatically in price, and it makes it a much harder way to, even at these higher prices, it makes it harder to make a living and make that profit. 
Sure, sure. And as of the time that we're recording this, you have been in Washington, D.C. for the majority of this week. Tell us about some of the conversations that happened in D.C. and some of the things that y'all are trying to communicate and help our representatives understand. Well, right now, they're just in the beginning stages of starting the next farm program. And so we're working through this farm program. We've got it. And so as Texas corn and other commodities and groups, we work, try to figure out what is the best thing and the best direction to go with the next farm bill. And so we've got a set of priorities we put together and we kind of work with them and hope that it's something that D.C. will work with. And so this week we were up and we visited the GOP Ag Committee in the House and then the Democratic Ag Committee. I mean, so we met with both committees in the House and talked to them about what we had and what we were doing and how things are working right now and what needs to be fixed with what our program is. And the next day, then we were able to go across and we met with the Republican and the Democratic Senate Ag Committees. And through all the years I've been doing this for the last 15 years or so, I don't think I've ever gone and been able to communicate with all four Ag Committees on the same two-day time frame. And they looked at some of what we had and they talked about it and looked at some and they were talking about how, well, that was more out of the box than anything we've seen and it's got relevant or it's, it's got value to be looked at. And we're going to, and a couple of them called back and said they were going to study a couple of the ideas and see where they go and if they are, how valid they would be for the nation as a whole. So we did a lot of that. Then we also went and Texas with, we had 10 people there from Texas corn. So not a huge delegation, but we were able to meet with about 20 of the new representatives that have not been through a farm bill, whether and some of those are freshmen and some of them are in their second term, but they've never seen a farm bill. And so we visited with them and tried to answer questions. And you've always got staff that are, are new to agriculture. Their ag LAs may not have ever dealt with it. So we did a lot of education this week. And that's really the most important part of this job we do in D.C. is to educate them and get them to understand who we are in the Texas panhandle or in Texas or in rural America. Sure. Well, and I'm sure it's a great opportunity, too, to um, let them know that you're available to answer questions. You know, you'd like them to come to you, to the experts, to the people who are actually growing the product when they have questions. Yes, and, we, and when you're in there, we've always got our cards and we give them our cards and we tell them, said, when you have a question or you have a need, you call us. And if you can't get a hold of me, call our office in Lubbock, call the Texas Corn Producers Association, said, get a hold of them and they will con- they will put you in contact with some of our directors that are from the area that you are from, if it's a representative of Texas, so that if they're on the Gulf Coast, they can talk to Gulf Coast farmers. If they're up in the Dallas area, they can talk to farmers north and south of them and work with that. So you always want to leave those phone numbers and tell them that you're always willing to visit with them and take care of any questions that they have and and whatever their needs. And that if they want to come visit, that we will get farmers to 
take them out and tour their farms and ranches and feed yards, take them anywhere and see their whole operations because so many of us are tied in multiple ways. Yes, definitely. Well, it's very exciting to hear. And I, I know it takes time away from your operation, but it sounds like it's time well spent. And it really is. It's a job that I've done for several years and we continue to, you've kind of got to learn how to hone that ability to communicate with them and talk to them. And if I don't go talk to them, then there's other people that aren't going to. So I've got to go do what I can do for agriculture as a whole. Yes, definitely. Well, and that's, that's a perfect transition to my next question. Looking down the road, what are ways that cattlemen and corn growers can continue to work together and support each other against all? There's so many challenges these days. So talk to us about that. How can we work together? We just have to continue to work together on the political front. And then because we're doing it in our communities and everything we do on these small communities, we do together. And so we just take that to the next level and continue doing it. Sure, sure. I love to hear that. And there are so many attacks against our way of life. And it feels like with the animal side that there's just there's a lot of pressure. But I know all farmers, it's hard. It's getting harder and harder to do business. And like you said, the profitability, because it's hard work. And uh, I think there are a lot of people who could probably go and earn a great living in other ways, but it's a rewarding way of life in agriculture and joining together and supporting each other, I think is going to be a key in pressing on. I think so. And one of the things we weren't talking about, but all of this climate talk and a lot of it's climate rhetoric that we continue to hear is damaging to our family operations because we've probably been the best environmentalist of our lands. And when other people are trying to tell us how to do things and how they think they can do things better, then we have to continue to let them know that said, we've taken these farms, these ranches, these lands, we've taken them from generation to generation to generation. And our very first desire is to keep it in a good and profitable area level so that it goes to the next generation. We are raising those. They're playing in the playgrounds, going to school right now. And so the next generation, all everything we do is to make a living and enjoy it and be profitable, but it's also to go to the next generations so that my grandkids, my kids can farm and work and operate and enjoy agriculture and my grandkids can and so on. Sure, sure. Yeah, taking care of the land and then it takes care of you in turn. Yes, ma'am, that is the best way to kind of explain it because that's what every all of our desire is is to figure out how if to be profitable you have to take care of your your asset in our land is our biggest asset well thank you so much for being with me today and for your information well i appreciate it thanks for listening today we invite you to be part of one of our ranch gatherings and virtual ranching 101 for a full list of ranch gathering locations ranching 101 topics and just more information about cattle raisers, visit tscra.org or email events at tscra.org.